Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This week marks the passing of a Formula One legend, Murray Walker. I'll borrow the words of MissedApex.net writer Felix Dupont, as I couldn't create better ones myself. Murray Walker lived the definition of a full life. The passion and life he brought to the sport, as well as helping millions discover their passion for Formula One, is unlikely to ever be matched. War veteran, racer, broadcasting legend, the voice of Formula One. Murray Walker's legacy as a motorsport icon will live on forever. Rest in peace, Murray, from all of us at Missed Apex. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I am very excited to be here. After our delightfully exciting conversation about shipping last week, I get to talk about numbers this week and nothing makes me happier. You know what? It was just so good. The atmosphere, like in our WhatsApp chat, in Slack, seeing cars on track. And we know full well what we can and can't tell from testing. And we'll explore that in the show. Yet every single year we have battles that in our that you know that make people upset enough to like quit group chats like the debate the speculation the the backing a horse all starts right now indeed it turns out that some people that are part of our group are somewhat passionate about this sport yeah no, it does and everyone just like we instantly pick a side and then if someone counters it like even if their point is reasonable you want to be right because you're a fan and i love the 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 mix of trying to analyze this sport in a measured way and also just being passionate about your team, your driver or the way you want F1 to be and just allowing ourselves to bathe in our own biases as well as trying to pick apart the actual information. Yeah, especially testing. It's just like one giant confirmation bias test, isn't it? Oh, man. In testing, you can basically see what you want to see, hear what you want to hear and we'll be doing plenty of that. Yeah. So let's get to it. Let's do it. But first, I have to remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. 
I'm also joined on the panel by my friend Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. This is one of the few times we're going to have you before the season starts. So I'm grabbing on and having you on the show as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Make use of me while you can. And we have done that this week, especially with the start of the Missed Apex iRacing F3 Cup on Friday, which was incredibly exciting. Yes, we'll put the link to that and all those races in the show notes below. Do go and check it out. I'm going to make a bold claim, Chris. The Missed Apex F3 iRacing series is the best sim racing broadcast out now that's available now and there's some big organizations doing sim racing broadcasts with the genius of steve amy and you guys on commentary and the organization from richard and sam behind the scenes as well it is the best sim racing broadcast there is it's certainly right up there and if you even if you know esports is not really your thing and if you only watch one race just watch the end of race one it might be the most bizarre finish to any race i've ever seen brilliant um and also joining us we have got danish broadcaster radio presenter audio engineer and sometime nightclub dj it is christian pedersen hello christian good evening spanners how are you enjoying testing have you been glued to it i think it's been uh probably the best testing i've seen in formula one so far and that is mainly due to the limited three days i guess yes. uh, but also the fact that we have uh we actually have a year of uh, the same car, more or less. We have uh, small floor things and stuff, but it's basically the same car as last year. So we pretty much know where, what they had to build on. That makes it even more interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's the same, but it's different enough that some teams are having to explore different things. But I mean, Christian, we always complain here that the drivers have too much testing on a race weekend. That probably extends to if you have eight days at Barcelona, you can sort out any issue. Three days testing can easily catch someone out. Exactly. And if you have like, uh, I wrote down three headlines. One was wind, sand and sun, which was basically the days. And the sandy day definitely put someone back uh, on the, on the, on the back front, back foot and, uh, and uh, the wind, I think it uh, really played some tricks with uh, the teams uh, because you can't really count on what, what you're measuring, measuring and uh, what happens. Uh, but Chris, uh, from a kind of media point of view, this is a completely new ball game for testing. Three consolidated days for the team to kind of get everything done, to get your reserve drivers, to get any testing time, to go out there and show the world your liveries and promote everyone. It's felt kind of intense and compact. And I, I don't know, I think... I think I like it. I think I'm I think I'm happy with it. It's been really great to see. Obviously the compact amount of of running, you know, means we we don't see any of these lull periods anymore which we used to get with 6-8 days yeah. of testing and when you have in the UK we have Sky Sports F1 broadcasting testing, F1 TV broadcast testing as well. Now it's great for the overall package for the teams big nightmare because I, we mentioned well, I mentioned last time I was on the show that all bar two teams have got new drivers that they need to bed in and only having three days of testing was going to be a huge challenge. And we've already seen them struggling to climb a very steep hill in that regard. Yeah. Well, and I just want to get back to our old argument about the shortened practices because it's yeah. the same principle. When you compact something, you actually are going to get a lot more action in a shorter period of time. And it turns out as human beings, that's a thing that we tend to like. All right, why don't we go for a kind of like a top level, Matt, and just go like, what did we make of, for to me, it's the viewer experience uh, of watching testing. I mean, further to the lack of 
loads of days of running. We also had that sandstorm on day two where I couldn't help but think that with the lack of grip there, Jensen Button would have been screaming at his TV, just go to Inters, just try it. It's worth a shot. You'll look like a hero. Uh, But those conditions aren't going to be representative of like most of the calendar. They'll be representative for, for race one. Maybe there'll be a sandstorm on the 28th of March and we'll be able to see all that kind of testing pay off. But when we get to Barcelona, there's not going to be a sandstorm. Portimao uh, shouldn't shouldn't be covered in sand either. It's um, it's not just three days testing, is it? It's really weird conditions compared to normal winter testing. Yeah, well, testing, it's always hard to derive a lot from testing. In fact, there's really only two things we can tell from testing. How much the teams drove and how the cars looked when they were driving on track. Uh, the further away you get from those two things, the more inference, deduction, speculation, and dare I say it, occasional libel, you're, you're going to wind up with. So you do need to be careful, but we can compare some numbers in a minute, if you like, to see how the teams did along those axes. But if you're asking about top-line observations, I think there's really only about three. And so we've asked our panel to come up with one apiece for us. For me, since you asked me first, foolishly, <laughs> I'm going to talk about what I'm going to call one thing, which is the Red Bull, AlphaTauri, and Tsunoda performance. Because to me, out of everything I saw, I've never seen a Red Bull car in this era of regulations look as well as it's done at this testing. And I think that's remarkable. I would say the same for AlphaTauri. They did far better than I expected. And for anyone who had any questions about Tsunoda, well, I think they probably have a lot less after this. So Max Verstappen was very positive and optimistic after today's running and said, oh, this is the best you know preseason testing I've ever had with the team. Certainly a marked improvement on where they were 12 months ago when the drivers were spinning a lot. It seems to be that they've sorted those correlation issues. Now we just need to see if they can actually hit the ground running, which has been their biggest weakness in recent seasons. What I find when you when you watch the tests, you you of course you see the cars on track. You see you see how they look, you see how they behave. Maybe you can judge something from how the drivers react to them. But you also see faces and you also see sort of like the vibe the team sends out. And that changes during testing. And that is always interesting to, you don't get any like uh, one-to-one results, but you can, you can if you put all those small bricks together, you get sort of like an overall vibe, what's happening, not on track, but off track. And that gives you a lot of thought as well. I think. What I expected to see with preseason testing taking place on the same circuit as the first race of the season, which is quite unusual for Formula One in recent years, um, was that teams might take advantage of that and maybe do a little bit of, you know, setup work or like, oh, we can suit the car towards Bahrain um, a little bit. Because normally, you know, they test at Barcelona, then they go and do all the flyaway races. And by yeah. the time they actually get to Barcelona, they've upgraded the car and it behaves maybe a, a bit differently compared to when they actually tested during the winter. Let's not forget about the, you know, the actual weather conditions, the temperature change in that amount of time as well. Here it's two weeks before the, the race, we're going to be, competing there Uh, but because of things like the sandstorm and the incredibly gusty conditions you know wind was doing 180 day to day i don't think they got the chance to actually do that 
So with these somewhat, that's a tautology, with these unique conditions uh, also matching in with possible unique conditions at race one, we've got a similar situation to what we have every year, which is going to an unrepresentative track. So we, we tend to go to Australia, which is not representative. People draw a bunch of conclusions. We do the rest of the flyaway. We come to Europe and we get a better picture. That's, that's how I've seen it over the last couple of, of decades in Formula One if you like. And and I think we're going to get that again here. But I think the question to ask is, what do the teams really want to get out of testing? Now, I, I have used every contact in my Rolodex, Matt, to try and tease out what's been going on in um, in the testing. And all of the panel have been doing that as well. And there's lots of really interesting stuff floating around. But one thing I specifically put to a team member is, ha- do the teams actually want a representative run. Because I wondered if, I don't know, maybe Mercedes, they do one day where they say, right, we're working on engine mode and engine power. Another day, we're going to look at high speed, mid corner, understeer. And then in the next session, we're going to look at mechanical grip through slow corners. So I wondered, you know, how, how much of the representative times are we seeing? And I got quite an interesting answer back, which is generally, yes, they will use different sessions to to work on different things. However, all the teams, all of them, will want to at some point do a qualifying run. Obviously, there are things they can do to disguise their pace. You can have fuel load. You can pick certain corners to lift at. Or as Max Verstappen did quite blatantly, I think, last year, like literally just lifted before the finish line just to disguise his pace. But I found that interesting. All the teams during testing did want to do a a representative to them qualifying run which uh, I found quite quite encouraging. Well, yes, they will want to do as much as they can because the one thing the teams want more than anything else is data. They are desperate for it. And especially, I'm just going to mention briefly, because we have new tires and new arrow at the rear. And as we discussed on possibly the world's greatest Formula One technical podcast with Summers just last week, one of the biggest challenges in the wind tunnel is taking a full-size tire from a track and turning it into a 60% size model mm-hmm. on a running road in a wind tunnel. If you were wrong about that, you potentially have some very, very, very serious problems. And this was the first chance for them in real life to get an answer to that. Doesn't uh, Pirelli deliver test tires for the Aerorex? Matt, do you know that? I think it's modeling from the wind tunnel data to their simulation. Okay. I I, I might be wrong, but I think think actually I I read somewhere that the Pirelli provided the same tires to every team in a 60% model, but I might be wrong. Well, it's not so much that the tire on the wind tunnel model isn't a 60% model of the tire. It's taking data at 60% on a tire that's running on a running road in a wind tunnel and scaling that up to be how a real-life tire behaves on a real-life track at 100%. If you get those calculations wrong, you're in a world of hurt till you sort them out. This pursuit of data was quite apparent, I think, when the sandstorm hit. They're so desperate for runtime because it's so restricted now that they were going out and doing laps in a sandstorm completely unrepresentative (laughs) of anything but they need just any data they can gather it just shows that these this time is is precious 
and the time on the show is precious as well, Matt. So I do want to go team by team after your next point. Well, I just wanted to briefly, since we're talking about it, talk about who got the most data by running the most laps. Oh, let's have a rundown of that. Good idea. All right. So total. So we have three ways to look at it. Total by team, yeah. total mileage by power manufacturer, and total teammate mileage. I looked at it those three ways. Total by team, Mercedes did 1,160 laps, and that's over four teams at an average of 290. Okay. Ferrari did 1,220 laps. That's more. Despite only having three teams at an average of 406 and two-thirds. Honda, with just two teams, only did 791. They averaged 395.5, and I'm going to finish with Renault, all by their lonesome, still did 396 laps, averaging, well, you guessed it, 396 laps for their one team. Before we get lost in numbers, I think the takeaway from that is that really the Mercedes the Mercedes powered cars seem to have a few more issues and run less laps. If you look at it team by team, the big headline is the Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 ran less laps than their rivals by by a ratio of about three to four, a lot of which can be accounted by their gearbox issues on day one, on day one. So this matters for your power unit manufacturers because they need that data, but each team also needs its own data. So if I said to you, who do you think ran the least laps this year? What would your answer be? Of the teams? Of the teams this season in in this three-day testing, who ran the least laps? I will go for Aston Martin. Close. Oh. Um, Mercedes. Okay. Yeah. Aston ran about 10 laps more than them. So when you look at previous testing, testing laps totals, the standout has been that Mercedes have been doggedly reliable and have, uh, have just kept churning out lap after lap. So let's stop draining the circle and let's start talking about this team by team and how we think uh, testing has gone and what we might be able to glean from looking at the teams during testing. The headline here is Mercedes have struggled and it is big news because they don't normally struggle. I looked through all the testing from, I did research, Matt, honest. So I look back at 2020 testing. I look back at 2019 testing. I look back at 2018 testing. What they all had in common was the running was very good. They did very well. Results varied. I think they topped last year's. I've forgotten 2019's result, but I think they were a very close second to Ferrari. In 2018, they were well down the order. They had the seventh fastest time. And I I remember full well the arguments that caused on our pre-season recordings in that year because it looked like Mercedes were nowhere and Ferrari were were everywhere. And the feeling I get with Mercedes is they go out and they run their program. If the times are hot, the times are hot. If the times are not, they don't care. They just, just, they just get on with it. So I, I'm not convinced that there is the panic that everyone seems to be having or the hope in a lot of cases because there's a lot of silly sausages out there letting themselves hope that Mercedes have produced an absolute lemon. I, I don't think that that is warranted from, from what we've seen, but I know you feel a bit negative about Mercedes and what they've come up with this year. Well, as much as I appreciate your fifis, as my daughter would call them. Fifis? Uh, we, have actual, we have actual facts to deal with. And the fact is, number one, I don't think there's anyone who thinks Mercedes were running at full strength in this test. And there's probably only one cause for that which would be an issue uh, either with the gearbox, which we saw both Aston and Mercedes have, or an issue with 
cooling, which we will just have to admit seems to be something Mercedes occasionally doesn't get entirely right at the beginning of the season. So, so having said that, I yeah. want to add one more thing. Mm -hmm. The yeah. other fact we have is a lovely interview done by Sam Collins on F1 TV in which he talked with Andrew Shovlin. And Shovlin basically said they have a handling imbalance. There is an aerodynamic issue with the car. It does need to be sorted. But they were not sandbagging in the traditional sense of just pretending to not have pace when they have it in hand. This is a problem they will have to solve. Having said that, as, as your Twitter conversation cleverly pointed out with Summers and Scarbs. I weighed in there. You did. Mm -hmm. uh, we have not seen, or no, and Mercedes have not revealed any token spend yet. So we may yet see new bits and bobs on the car. And we saw, for example, in Austria last year with the wiring loom issue, them solve a very complex issue incredibly rapidly. So. Yeah. This is not to say Mercedes is going to be back of Williams now by any stretch of the imagination, but in terms of what they would have expected from this testing, I'd have to say that it's far from ideal for them. So they came out and said straight away, I think we've done a few things wrong. They were the only team to not use a filming day, which you get 100 kilometers of uh, on some uh, demo tires. They were the only team to not use that prior to this test. And then in the first day, they were kind of coming up with things like, oh, I need to adjust the pedals in this car. It's not quite right. All these tiny little niggly things that you would thought you would have sort of settled at this point by the time you arrived at preseason um, testing. And then, of course, the gearbox issue that cost Bottas a quarter of his entire runtime in the car. But I fully expect mercedes to still be fighting at the front like we said they haven't used you know these tokens there's bits to come uh on the car and you know they're coming out with all the usual stuff like oh we're behind red bull at the moment <laughs> i just i don't quite buy it yet when we get to the first race and it actually happens then i'll buy it their mind games are sick christian so I tried to uh, follow uh, some of the corrections they had to make while driving the, the W12. And uh, if you looked at Hamilton's, one of Hamilton's uh, last laps today, actually, he had like a broken brake balance going into T1. That's the end of the straight. So you have suddenly your, your, your rear wheels want to be in front of the car. You don't want that in, in, in full braking at the end of the straight. The same happened at T9. At T13, he had a snappy back end going on the power. Uh, we saw that uh, all around the plate, I think. But especially 13, where the wind comes from, the, the Mercedes shouldn't be snapping like that. And someone like Hamilton, he, he likes an oversteery car. This is not oversteering. This is, this is uh, the exact same as happened to uh, Red Bull last year and Ferrari. Yeah. You suddenly lo lose all aero balance. And that is not something you change with a new little wing on the front or something like that. That that means that could be a major problem, I'd say. Okay, so talking of aero then with the Mercedes, this specific issue with the rear suddenly letting go, I'm not going to pretend that I'm sitting there analysing airflow or looking at the way the sand flows over the side part of the Mercedes. This is just from me texting everybody I know and trying to get what information I can. Uh, so uh, someone I trust has said to me that it looks like Mercedes are struggling to attach the airflow at the rear, Matt. And this takes us down an interesting path. So Christian, you get in and then I'm going to go down the path I, I think this may be going. 
I, I just wanted to mention one short thing. Uh, I'm, uh, I noticed his brake balance on the Hamilton ride was 60-40, which is, I think, very high for, for Bahrain and uh, for Hamilton. So, so he, he, he moved his brake balance forward. To compensate. So something's wrong. Yeah, exactly. So he's trying to compensate. He's trying to take the pressure off the rear brakes to try and stop exactly, it yeah. snapping yeah. around. Uh, so there's there's a, a million reasons, Matt, that this could be happening, but there's obviously a sudden loss of, of rear downforce. So I'm speaking to someone, they're telling me that they're struggling to reattach the air at the back, which would be affecting their rear grip. Um, and there's a number of reasons that can happen. There's a few things to talk about, so I'll let you choose which one you want to go down. But one theory is that these new regulations actually lend themselves to a, a higher rake approach and the Mercedes and the the Aston Martin slash uh, four stroll racing point now Aston Martin teams were running the lower rake longer wheelbase and that doesn't look maybe like the way to go with these regulations so they're suddenly having to change to a, a higher rake which means the rear is up the whole car becomes a wing essentially and that requires a kind of different aero philosophy the the other thing that came up in a conversation on Twitter with Summers was that perhaps it was a new front wing and the new front wing will help the airflow going all the way back, which will help them reattach the air. But it's interesting to see Mercedes having to face a genuine aero challenge because they have just been the king of strong arming downforce. Yeah, they absolutely have. So the issue at the back, yeah, you cannot argue the issue is with the rear of the car. Mercedes themselves have admitted it. Why that issue there is what's not being talked about and where Summers and Scarbs are saying a new nose could make a very significant difference because the nose of the car and the front wing is where the air encounters the car for the first time. It's where you set it on its journey to do its appointed tasks. And we know uh, both from interviews with Mario Isola and from other people that the original aim of reducing the floor in the area they did the triangular cutout going back to the rear wheels, was to reduce the efficiency of the diffuser and to make them have to work harder so as to to protect the tires, basically, because the the car's arrow had outdeveloped the tires because the tires had been pegged in place. Now, where you can get an issue very easily, and we know that Mercedes runs a low-rake philosophy, they did bring it up a little bit, but a very easy thing is that once you start to turn the car, If that tire flexes and introduces some air into the diffuser where you don't want it, you will suddenly lose a whole heap of downforce on the rear of your car. So instead of it's being pushed down and planted, it suddenly has way less weight on it. It will just swing around on you. And if you are trying to fix that in a non-aero fashion, you're going to do exactly what Christian was talking about. You're going to run as soft a suspension as possible. You're going to put the softest tires on as possible to try and make up for mechanical grip. And you're going to dial as much understeer in as possible to protect the car from snapping around, which we did see Lewis Hamilton do. Because for those who may be uh, newer to the sport, what we're dealing with is every team has had the rear downforce cut because of these aero floor regulation changes for this year. And every team is now in a bid to regain that downforce. There's a a strong likelihood that most of the development this season of the teams that are going to be developing their cars, that is, are going to be focusing on the floor. We've obviously heard teams like Haas, potentially Williams, 
aren't going to be throwing any development or maybe a very small amount of development to this year's car with the big regulation changes coming in for 2022. Yeah, so just to jump on that real quick, we had an interview with Mario Isola where he thinks some teams are just 4% off of that now. They've already regained almost all of what they've lost. And we knew they were going to do it. We, we called it <laughs> months ago. Everyone did. It was obviously going to happen. So maybe maybe by the end of the year, they'll have recouped all of it and we'll see the, the lap record times back. So just to uh, stay with Mercedes for, for a little while, and again, this is just things that people have said to me. I, you can... I wouldn't pass stuff on that I heard unless it was from a source that I kind of trusted and I've generally spoken to. And and I promise you, I just don't make stuff up. But you can choose how much to trust me or not. That's completely up to you. Uh, somebody said to me that apart from quali sims on uh, on further in- investigation, apart from quali sims, none of the Mercedes cars actually ran in eighth gear. So that it tells you that well, now, Chris, you've got a comment on that. What, 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 when I say that to you, because I've got no technical knowledge, what's your first reaction? My first thought on that would be they're running way down on power. Sure. They have cranked yeah. that thing down. Mm. And, and to match with that, Matt, there's also reports that Mercedes and Red Bull are both running way down, like 15 kilometers an hour down on the straights. So no one's really cranking these power units up. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in today in testing. I did think I see them get to eighth a few times, but with DRS enabled. But right. there's no doubt, as I said earlier in the show, and I agree with you here, Mercedes was nowhere near using its uh, party mode or its, or its modified party yeah. mode because they changed the regs last year. No, they were nowhere near that. And I think personally, it's a cooling issue. It could also be a wind issue uh, on the straight there if you're not full in power on the engine you probably wouldn't even need to go to eighth. Chris? I think it's a general thing that happens during uh, testing is that nobody really runs their car at even, I think, 90%, and that we won't see that until qualifying for the first race. And I think when you when you combine it with, as Christian said, the, the wind conditions that you're running into a very big headwind, for example, you're going to be down on top-end speed anyway. Yeah. All right. And I remember, Matt, we were talking uh, a while back when Honda were with McLaren at first. And we were talking about them being way down on horsepower. But then McLaren would make the claim, ah, but we have the best chassis. Do you remember that? The the, the we have the best chassis claim was going around. We had a big conversation around, well, don't they just have the best chassis because they're approaching the corner with less speed, therefore it's easier. And that was my initial approach. And I had it explained to me that, no, that's not the case. You can still, you know, tell by apex speeds how well the yeah. chassis is doing. So, you know, Mercedes and, and Red Bull and the top teams, they can still get useful aero information even when they've got the power cranked down. Yeah, well, oftentimes useful aero information comes by running at set speeds and by doing things that are not necessarily very racy. And what's interesting to me is if we talked about the two teams that had the least mileage, we're talking a lot about Mercedes. But... The other team that barely did any better is Aston. And I think there's another team where everyone expected them to show up and do very, very well. And it seemed like a bit of a miss from them. What a nightmare for Sebastian Vettel as well. Going back to what I said earlier, embedding in a new driver, you need every lap possible. I think Science said it 
the best. He said, oh, I've got the, you know, the basics down with the car, but I don't have the tricks yet. You know, you can run at 95%. You need to run at 105%. And Vettel reckoned he was 100 laps down on what he should have achieved during his running. Uh, I think Aston Martin is actually the only real new car this year uh, with the new monocoque and stuff. So from that perspective, I, I actually think it's uh, it's been a decently fair test for that team. Uh, and I really hope that uh, their new fresh start will bring something, uh, even though it doesn't look like it. Uh, it. Just the spirit of this new team with Fettel in front, just it would make a good headline. Okay, so... Um... Assume that I know nothing. Very hard assumption to make for everyone, I know. So when you say, you know, they've got the freshest car on the grid, I'll, I'll slightly argue that I think maybe McLaren Mercedes could fit into that category as well. We'll talk about them in a minute. When you say Aston Martin uh, are in there with a new car, what, what, is it, what is it you mean? So there was a lot of controversy that they thought it was a clone of the 2019 car in the 2020 season with Racing Point. What's their approach this season, Christian? So you, because of how the it should have been new regulations this year, it's all been postponed, COVID stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you've had you've been given two tokens to uh, just redesign your car for this year, and those tokens are within some certain areas. Matt knows all about this, and we have to go for the technical podcast <laughs> to to go into depth. But um, Aston Martin has uh, made a brand new monocoque, which is the top the the driver sits in. Uh, and they can do that because they can uh, they can buy the homologated parts from uh, Mercedes they used last year because they the year before used the 2019 parts. So they are allowed, according to the regulations, to take the Mercedes car from last year, so the suspension and stuff like that, and use their tokens on the monocoque. So it's a new car. And according to you, by, by the way, the McLaren is not a new car. It's only a new engine, which makes it even more impressive. But that's in a while. And now, friends, we are going to depart <laughs> from the realm of absolute fact and enter the wild and woolly world of speculation. Yay, my favorite. I know your favorite. Um, and I happen to mention a certain tech podcast. I forget who hosts that best podcast in the world for a tech issues. A much less attractive member of the Missed Apex panel. But I listen. Uh, I listen thoroughly three times. Go and listen to Matt talking to Matthew Summerfield on Tech Time. And Summers is going to continue doing some shows with us during the year. Even though every time I tweet anything at the moment... Uh, at Summers F1, jumped straight in there to tell me exactly why I'm wrong. I tried to point out that Perez was somehow doing well, and he burst my bubble instantly when I pointed out that Perez's ultimate lap time was really good if you added up the fastest sectors. He's right in there with, oh no, when you consider that he might have emphasised things on certain runs that might have uh, caused tyre wear, therefore giving you a higher optimal lap than is necessarily achievable. I'm like, you're a terrible friend, Summers. Despite that, we're going to continue doing the Tech Times. Well, thank you, because what I'm about to mention comes from that very show, and it involves the team we are now discussing, Aston Martin. Oh, Aston, okay. And he reckons, it is reckoned that Aston has changed from air-to-air cooling to what is called charge cooling. Now, we don't have confirmation of that because we've not yet seen a picture, but if so, that is a massive change and important for Aston in the long run but much trickier to get right, and something we've seen Mercedes and Red Bull 
and Ferrari, all teams that also do that, struggle with. Is, is there a way you could possibly quickly summarize in 20 seconds what charge cooling is for <laughs> dumb people like me? No, he can't do it in 20 seconds. Thank, thank you for teeing that up Everybody for me. Everybody get so a cup of that. hot cocoa. Uncle Trumpets. And you said 20 is, minutes, right? Not seconds. <laughs> Uncle Trumpets is about <laughs> no, to tell I'm us kidding. a story about cooling. Actually, this is the easiest possible thing to explain. Air-to-air cooling means that I'm just using air to cool whatever it is. Charge cooling means I'm using air to liquid, kind of like the radiator in your car. That allows it to be smaller and more efficient and fit into a smaller space. Also allows me to have a much teenier, tinier air box. So, for example, Renault, we know, not using charge cooling yet. I was just going to say, because Alpine have done the opposite, where they've slimmed down the side pods and I've got a, a chunky airbox at the top of their car. Yeah, that's because Alpine are relying on laminar airflow through that top cooling box, Chris. Is <laughs> that's a thing. true, but they have already slimmed it down. Did you notice? No, They've I gone to a kayak from a canoe. Oh, right, okay. That was oh, quite yeah. interesting that um, the Alpine boss was talking about the rest of the paddock body shaming their car because it had a slightly <laughs> uh, fatter engine cover. Christian? Uh, the Alpine, I know I'm, I'm checking all the fun stuff out of this all the time with technical boring stuff, but uh, the Alpine car is actually one of the few cars. It, it's a completely different uh, approach to how you want the wind to flow around your Coke bottle. So on the Alpine, they have uh, raised the intakes and yeah. they've made a lot of room. So it's much narrower car, which should theoretically mean you get a lot more air down the sides and then they have a chunky boy on top uh, where all the other teams are going, uh, let's go side pots, which are chunky as well. And then the flow over the side pots. Right. So the basic trade-off there is they put everything in the middle and up top, trading some drag and weight penalties because they reckon that running that air along the floor makes the diffuser the most efficient aero device on the car works so much better, it's worth the small penalty they pay. Plus, they painted it real nice, so I don't care. It's a center of gravity uh, penalty as well, I suppose you could call it. Uh, But you always say the arrow will always win out in the end. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I want to talk about cooling just for a, for a second longer. I have some experience as a... Uh, as an engineer, you can all drink now. Uh, when I was, you know, engineering, you know, my job was more the practical application where the design meets reality. And one of the biggest things that always frustrated me with very clever design engineers, and I was working in defense, and those design engineers, there's a lot of crossover between defense and motorsport. So a lot of those guys, they all know each other. Uh, they all have all had the same education. They seem to have a blind spot with cooling, Matt. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world because they see performance and cooling and temperature control seems to, for whatever reason, just be seen as an inconvenience to be dealt with rather than fundamental. So I would imagine in the Mercedes team who have, obviously they've run peak performance. They're amazing engineers. I I don't want to put my engineering (laughs) up against theirs. I would never do that. But they have traditionally struggled at the peak performance with cooling. So when any cooling has been compromised, like in Singapore 2015, for example, and they had to like start hacking body work out of the car, it shows yep. you they are so on the limit. And what that tells me is that the senior aero designer within Mercedes is slightly senior in pay to the the lead kind of, you know, cooling, the, whoever it is that has to talk about temperature control. Uh, and that seems to rear its head at Mercedes all the time and please just tell me that's not going to happen again here in 2021 uh, well i think we may have already seen it happening so i have two thoughts one mm-hmm. is um i'm pretty sure the argument goes yes but it's easier to cut arrow bits out than it is to redesign them. sure so if it's a cooling problem we'll solve that down the road and the second is let's recall testing last year took place in barcelona that was like was it zero degrees or something like that it was not nearly as hot as it was on track yeah. this year so these issues could have been there or thereabouts. Christian? I think it's a, I think it's a general uh, problem for every team with cooling. Uh, so you always have to find that balance in between. You have the hot races, the cold races, you have something in between. But uh, the only thing, you, only reason we notice it with uh, with Mercedes to the degree we did is because it's been their only issue <laughs> in the last seven years or something like that. <laughs> so, of course, we've picked it up. Sure. I think every team has that issue. Uh, and we just don't notice how they turn down their stuff because they're not number one. I think the philosophy on cooling is the same as the philosophy on fuel. All the teams underfuel their car for the start of a race and they lift and coast to save that fuel because it's quicker than carrying that weight around with you the entire time. And I think with cooling, they will run it just over the limit slightly because they say, well, look, if we just don't follow other cars or we uh, just short shift to stop the engine overheating, those kind of things, it'll actually be quicker than us taking downforce off the car. So I, I want to divert in a minute, but I'll, I'll let you finish up, Matt. Sorry, I've interrupted you. I didn't see that you were trying to get in with a last point on that. No, it's just a quick one. And I'm remembering a Scarb's set of tweets about potentially them redesigning the plenum or the air entrance to the engine to be a new and different way. And we could just be seeing some unintended consequences of that that need to be engineered through as well. And if so, it would have affected anyone running a similar cooling scheme to Mercedes, by which I mean, we think, but have not confirmed, Aston. So I just wanted to address a general testing point, which is how much do the, te- do the teams care 
about what the scoreboard looks like at the end of the day. So we've heard the famous stories about Braun F1 and when they suddenly went out on a practice run and it was brilliant and they weren't even running a low fuel run and they they sort of had to panic and go, oh my goodness, fill the tank, make sure everyone doesn't know how well we're running. And then it makes you think about the amount of mind games that are generally being employed. So in testing, I always think, look for the look for the straight man, if you like. Look for that midfield team that seems to just be running good, honest laps, genuinely out there with no expectation of a championship, trying to see what it is they can do. And I think we've probably got two in the field this year. We've got Alpha Tauri um, and we've got uh, Alpha Romeo, who look to be just running laps, seeing what they can do and doing something genuine. So when you have an Alpha Tauri right at the top of the timing tables, Christian, and uh, and you've got a Red Bull and a Mercedes behind them, you can kind of, you can generally go, it's unlikely Alpha Tauri have turned up here as championship contenders. So we can assume that Mercedes and Red Bull have more. You're on mute, Christian, I, I beg your pardon. Mm, sorry about that. Uh, let me start to point out the thing you talked about the uh, uh, setting the fast lap time at the end of day two, whatever. Yeah, glory lap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it depends on which team you are. And if you're Williams, you have a brand new uh, main sponsor, you want to do that because you want your sponsor logo somewhere. If you're Mercedes, you want to downplay it because you don't want to look like the villains. So everyone's got different motives. But as for Alpha Tauri, I think uh, uh, we have to point three things out. And one of mine, uh, Alpha Tauri, uh, well, actually it's Honda Engine and Rake. Those two things combined is very interesting, I think, this year. And maybe Red Bull and AlphaTauri have uh, cracked the code somewhere because there's yes. some hidden pace in that AlphaTauri car this year. And I think there's something going on with the, the tele- not the telemetry, but someone's talking to each other between those two teams. That <laughs> is for think? sure. <laughs> uh, I want to point something out about uh, Yuki Tsunoda, but we can talk about that later. Yes, I was going yeah. AlphaTauri for me is, uh, let me see where I put them on my list, but they are very high up. I think I put them as the fifth fastest team. I think Red Bull and AlphaTauri will be our very, very next stop. I just was making the point, and you, and you touched on it by saying uh, glory runs on day two. This was This was the controversial point at the end of day two, where... Mercedes went out on a soft tire and just went to the top of the timing screens. And a lot of people going, oh, they're doing a glory run. And people were accusing Mercedes, 85-time world champions, of going out and doing a glory run in, in testing. And Matt, I just wanted to address that because, to me, that notion seems ridiculous that Mercedes would care at all where they are on the timing screens. Like, what would their motivation be for doing that? And that's something that came up between us you know, privately. Right. So as, as we talk about this, I have some things I want to say about AlphaTauri, but setting that aside and discussing this issue here, why would Mercedes want to do that? Well, consider they are struggling massively with the handling of the car. What is the best? What, what do you do when you're trying incremental solutions and nothing gets better? You go all the way to the end. I know let's put on the softest tires and go out there and just put some fuel in the car and see what happens because these small things we're changing aren't doing what we want them to do with regards to the handling of the car. Do I think Mercedes was obsessed with being at the top of the leaderboard? No, no, no. I think that was secondary to it. But the fact that they felt the need to do that relative to how they've done things in past years 
is indicative of the fact that they did have a real handling problem and they are trying their best to work around it with the tools that they have available to them at testing, none of which are really going to solve the issue the way they'd like to solve it. Okay, but I think we're, we're agreed that the organization Mercedes didn't suddenly look at testing day one, have a meeting and go, there is great dishonor being heaped upon the Mercedes brand. We must show them what we have. That said, if someone from publicity happened to be hanging around, they'd say, you know, I'm seeing a lot of scared people on Twitter. Could we go out and run something that resembles a normal lap before the end of this day just to just as a sop to our marketing people? And let me add to that. If I was Bottas and my first half day was ruined, I would want to do that for myself. And I would ask the team if I was allowed to maybe just do one final fast lap as a driver. And and let's recall, you did say earlier in the show that the teams do want to try and get in a real quality lap. So maybe it just seemed like a good idea at the time. That's right. All these yeah. factors came together. That, that's right. Okay. And we, we don't know when they're going yeah. out and doing their quality lap. There's no reason for doing it at a particular point. And now, if I can briefly talk about Alpha Tauri and also Alpha Romeo for a minute. Okay. There was a theory going around that these teams were being used to test higher power modes on the respective power units for the boss teams. Because if I'm a boss team, the last thing I really want to do is blow my engine up, testing out higher power modes. I want all of the juicy data for myself. But if I sell my power unit to a team, my, my expert technicians there will be like, why, sure, you go ahead and turn that thing up to 11 for a couple of laps, Sonny. Nothing's going to go wrong. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And with regards to Alpha Tauri, here's an interesting fact. Ooh. They spent their tokens at the front end of the car, and they've essentially bought the same solution that Red Bull used last year on their front end. You remember Red Bull had a brand new trick front suspension last year. Okay, you don't remember. I'm telling you I they do. did. AlphaTauri has you. bought that and implemented it <laughs> as their two tokens. Interesting thing, Red Bull has totally re- redesigned the rear end of the car, which suggests that that was where the problem for them last year really was. Absolutely. So AlphaTauri is benefiting from this improved suspension, and the two things together, I think, mean they've perhaps made a real step forward. Which basically just underlines uh, my theory of people talking together because now the cars are aligned. You have the same front suspension, the same engine. I mean, things will happen. Now I think we should talk about Yuki Tsunoda. Let's do it, man. (laughs) This guy, I mean, he's 20 years old. He's uh, he was third in Formula Two, GP2 Formula Two, and uh, and he's from Japan. And on the on the harder tire. On the first day in the sandstorm, he was 1.5 of Gasly on his first run, which was, I mean, of course, he's driven the track before uh, and stuff, but I was so amazed by this guy and the way he drove today, uh, the fast laps he put in, that could be some Ferrari engine turned up to full extent, but he was on it and he was actually challenging uh, Verstappen as the only guy. I think Sonoda is going to be one of the most exciting rookies we've seen for a while. Everything about him just sort of screams excitement. You know, even just looking at his his sole season in F2, I think it's easy <laughs> to forget that he was a rookie in F2 last year, given the things he did. Uh, and, you know, with a good team, but you need 
to to deliver when you when you have a good team. And he won races, for goodness sake. So we have every reason to get hyped up about Sonoda and just this this not a dream start to the year because there were some problems and you know sort of hindered his his running a little bit, but he certainly had a, an easier time of it than say Mick Schumacher, who had you know quite a few troubles and lost quite a lot of running as a rookie that's even more important so Sonoda's getting up to speed very quickly and his adaptability is one of his his key ingredients one of his best aspects and also it's very rare you see uh, a debuting driver making uh, an icon of him of himself in a three-day test as the first day I mean you yeah. rarely see this I think you saw something similar with Alonso and maybe a few other drivers but This was unique, and he even loved the sand. Ah, I loved it. It was uh, tricky, but I liked it. <laughs> I mean, I like that guy. Uh, so, uh, Matt, there's people in the chat room talking about uh, Yuki Tsunoda. They're saying that they think he might have a chance against Gasly just because of his aggression and the fact that he likes an overtake. Yeah, well, I would say if I'm Pierre Gasly, I'm significantly less happy that they didn't bring Alex Albon back and they brought Tsunoda up. Because Alvin's a bit more of a known quantity, if you know what I mean. Sure. That said, Gasly has a huge advantage and has shown that he can get the job done if he winds up in a points-paying position and even in a podium position. Tsunoda hasn't seen that. But watching him hurl that car around the track in the last hour of testing today when everyone was doing quali sims and they were just going faster and faster and faster, yeah, I have no doubt. He knows how to drive that car and he has zero fear about putting it all the way on the limit to get whatever he wants. Now, of course, it's easy for a rookie to just come in and, and be quick straight away. It's not necessarily always about the speed. It's about a bit of finesse uh, and about how you apply yourself in certain racing scenarios as well. You know, we can all go out and, you know, challenge for a pole position if we've got a good enough car in our first uh, season. But it's uh, it's the finer things. It's the whole basics and tricks thing, again, that science was was talking about. But I do think that Gasly is a fantastic benchmark for Sonoda yeah, to go up against. There's somebody who has performed remarkably in that car since he got put back in it 18 months ago. Okay, so we will go back to Red Bull and Toro Rosso as an entity, but we're talking about some of the young drivers coming through. And I want to kind of explain why I'm I'm so excited about Yuki Tsunoda or why I have hopes up. It's it's uh, it's not just because he's a Japanese driver and that's a, a big part of our motorsport community. I would like to have a uh, a Japanese driver doing well. Uh, I've really missed uh, Kobayashi, who I think was a fantastic driver. And I would like to see the enthusiasm of Japanese fans coming back in. I would love to have a, a Japanese panelist on the Mist Apex podcast as well because they have such a rich... Uh, motor racing history if we don't have that we're missing out as a community on something but also i just want to see a rookie that i'm excited about coming through at the moment because i haven't been enthusiastic about latifi he may well prove to be brilliant but so far i'm not seeing that it, it feels like very much a paid driver role please please latifi come come prove me wrong uh, i'm not excited about a uh, mazepin I, I think he's there purely for money. There's a lot of other reasons that I am entirely unsatisfied with his presence in Formula One. Uh, so to me, the default there is he has no business being in F1 right now. Again, go prove me wrong. Schumacher as well. I know 
I know the sentiment. I know why people are delighted to see the Schumacher name and MSC on the scoreboard. I don't want to take away from any of that at all, but none of Michael Schumacher's talent and skill will be magically transferred to Mick Schumacher. He's got to go do it by himself. And generally, kids who are the son of someone, it doesn't excite me. I I need to see results. That's not exciting me. None of those rookies are exciting me. Yuki, to me, Chris, is potentially that genuine, on-merit driver rookie coming into F1, ready to light things up. I'm ready for disappointment, but that's where I'm coming at it from. It's bizarre how we make these attachments because obviously Schumacher is the reigning Formula 2 champion. And it was all, you know, it was a it was a bit of a dream. Um, came down to you know, the final race as well when a very good championship battle in what was a very odd year of F2 where they introduced the new 18-inch tyres and it just caused chaos, basically. I think they had something ridiculous, like 10 different winners throughout the entire season. It was a very competitive grid it's hard to distinguish yourself in that kind of environment. Yeah. And maybe Yuki had a few things going for him as maybe as a Red Bull junior that automatically puts a bit of extra light on you compared to say being a Ferrari junior, just because we talk about Mm. Red Bull juniors more often. Uh, The fact that he is Japanese, which we don't see a lot of that very often in the, you know, there's not, well, I don't want to say there's not a huge amount of Japanese talent coming out, but, you know, so often we're talking about European races. Yeah, sure. So that was something different. The fact that he was also just very exciting to watch on track as well. Mm-hmm. And he had he had these these great moments like the battle, the lead battle at Spa as well. And just these really big elevated moments. We didn't see so many of those from Schumacher. It was cooler, calculated he was very consistent throughout the city. We didn't see these big flare moments, which I think is what captivates an audience. I just, just want to clarify because there's some chat room comments coming in. I, I'm not claiming that there's not been any good rookies recently. I'm just talking about the crop that has come up uh, this year. Obviously, we still think we still think of talents like Lando Norris as a rookie. Somehow, we still think of Max Verstappen as a, a young talent although he is kind of like a veteran of F1 uh, right now, but obviously George Russell, Albon and stuff. I'm just talking about this crop that's that's coming through this year and last year. Chris and then Christian. Well, uh, yeah, compared to people like, you know, Russell, Norris and Albon came in with a big bang because yeah. they were coming and that was out two of years ago. the... Yeah. yeah, they were coming out of the whole three-way title battle that was very, very... Um, exciting, and I think Norris already had like a big fan base because he'd been winning championships since he was like fourteen in Janetta Juniors. So it's 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 quite different. We didn't have that year in F two where it was just like, oh, the top three are, are going in. To me, David Coulthard is still a rookie. So <laughs> you see what you're working with here. That's because we old, dude. We old. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to add that uh, just the fact that uh, he, he did how he did during the test means that we're sitting here talking about Yogi Sonoda and we're yeah, hyping yeah, yeah, him yeah. up and stuff. And this is uh, sort of like already ruined it because now he has to win the first race <laughs> <laughs> to ever live up to this. But, yeah, I think uh, right. I just I wanted to add that uh, a Japanese driver doing well in Formula One will only have winners. There will be no bad publicity about that. And the Japanese fans, how they will embrace the sport, it will be yummy yumminess for liberty. Yes. I, I've worked it out. I think people latched onto Sonoda 
when he was denied the victory in Austria. If I remember this correctly, uh, it was pouring with rain and it was very dramatic stuff in general. He had a radio failure, missed the call to come into the pits and lost the race because of it. And I think that heartbreak moment kind of, that's when you can maybe latch onto it. That's pure <laughs> speculation. I don't know why people like Yuki Tsunoda. I know why I like Yuki Tsunoda. I can't speak for everyone. Okay. Well, look, everyone likes a good hype train, and there's no bigger hype train at the moment in F1, Matt. We've saved the best till last. Red Bull Racing. Year after year after year, we've said, are Red Bull going to just come out of the gates fighting? And I think Red Bull are a team. Yes, they're not going to do massive low fuel glory runs i don't think red bull would would do that it's not in their dna but if we look at the hybrid era you go back 2017 2018 ferrari mercedes 2019 2020 they were not like showing teeth in testing and 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 sure enough we got to the first races and they were ordinary I, i hope that doesn't offend red bull and they became spectacular during the season but i think too little too late isn't unfair but this is genuine red bull look tough and i think i think (laughs) and i think because i think people have told me stuff and i I hope i trust those people there were no glory runs from red bull what we saw in testing is a team that have had no hiccups that have turned up with the right philosophy that have pace that are going about their business they're not deliberately showing us anything they're not overly hiding anything more than the other teams do. Could this be the year that Red Bull just get out of the blocks properly? And if they do, if they do, if Red Bull get out of the blocks properly and they go grow and build and develop like we know they can, man, this could be it. This could be the year that Perez wins a championship. Uh, in fact, sorry, I've, I've thrown you there, but let's, let's let Christian go first and then Matt. I just I wanted to say the exact same thing as you did, so I have <laughs> nothing. Okay, Matt. fair enough. Matt, sorry. I'm not going to disagree with you there. Not at all. Because I think it was interesting to me. I didn't watch so much of the first two days of testing, but I watched uh, the last session of testing, the afternoon session, because frankly, I'm not getting up at three o'clock in the morning to watch testing. I have to do enough of that during the year anyway. But having watch that it was very interesting to me to see that every time red bull was on screen the adjectives and adverbs i heard used to describe the car were the ones that i heard normally being used to describe how a mercedes drives it looks planted he doesn't look like he's working hard it looks like a fun car to drive and we see talking about your body language christian We see the body language of Perez. We see the body language of Verstappen. They are genuinely excited to get in this car. And you're right. I don't think we've seen any anywhere near the limit of this car yet. In fact, Mario Isla in an interview was complaining that the teams are hiding so much that even Pirelli can't get a real idea of what's going on yet. And that's very frustrating to them. So yes, if you are a Red Bull fan, they have shown up this year loaded for bear as we used to say where i come from and i i have every expectation they will be a much closer match for mercedes this year than the previous season so there was a small rumor going around that honda had turned the engines down on both the red bull and the alpha tauri for the sake of reliability as well because they haven't quite worked that out we're only going to see if that's true or not with time. 
remember they've chucked everything that they had in advance at this power unit because they are pulling out at the end of the season. So all their plans, you push them all forward and put them on this year's power unit. But all the ingredients are there. It seems like they've solved this correlation issue between the wind tunnel and the actual car. It seems like they're not having this rear stalling effect anymore where suddenly the car just snaps. It seems like they've got the good speed. And of course, with Perez seemingly running at a a closer level to Verstappen than Albon was, giving them two horses in this race rather than just one, and it's it's hard to to look past it at the moment. I mean, yeah, today just talking about Perez, we know I'm biased towards Perez. That's fine. Take that into account with everything I say this season. But Perez was running really well in the morning uh, of day three. Verstappen obviously beat that time, but it, it it seems to me that the conditions were better in the afternoon. And if that is true. And Matt is nodding, so I'm getting uh, some support from from Matt. If that's true, and Perez is generally running in the same zone as Verstappen, wow, does that make Red Bull uh, a prospect for this year? But where this could go downhill very suddenly, remember Bahrain is where when Perez was at McLaren, he suddenly arrived with Jensen Button and they started banging wheels and, and compromising each other's races. <laughs> you so won't do that. You need to avoid that. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. No, Sorry, it Christian. Won't be. That's okay. I, I I think there's not much to say because if Red Bull is going to have a fast car, the fastest car, uh, Verstappen is just going to crush everyone. But let's say that Verstappen has some unlock. He's got some engines yes. blowing up, stuff like that. The usual stuff that makes you not lead the championship. Then they have Perez. Yes. So with, if, if the, these three days are sort of representative in any sort of way, Red Bull's going to win the, the VDC this year that's i mean definitely looks like it. so for all my perez fanboyness and the fact that i just want sergio perez to do well i am absolutely realistic perez is a utility player for red bull this year he's in there to do a job to do better than albon did to be a team player and i'm pretty sure that perez is accepting that because it was either red bull or nothing he sounds like he's got a plan for 2022 and the outside shot is actually he he gives Red, Red Bull a massive headache with his results and they have to to think again Christian you know there is a there is a chance still that he could show Red Bull that no he's he's the man to go forward with I just wanted to add some uh, technical stuff to the Red Bull uh, car uh, because um Every every theory and Chris will probably and or Matt, for instance, uh, would uh, probably uh, back me up on this. Every theory would say if you have a high rate car that is dependent on the on the floor, which is sort of like fifty percent of the downforce a Formula One car creates, and you slim down that floor, you will have less downforce. But sometimes making things smaller, I think it was Gary Anderson who put this in an article somewhere. If you make sometimes making things smaller, a wing smaller can make it more efficient. So, for instance, the strikes under the diffuser, uh, the McLaren diffuser, we have to talk about that point, by the way. <laughs> uh, the strikes under the diffuser are very short now, but that could be uh, a positive. We don't know that uh, as uh, just watching the TV screens. Uh, Matt, I think uh, we do need to be mindful of the time. And we do want to talk about McLaren and Ferrari as well. I will certainly let you take the lead and disappear off with the Ferrari topic. But before we do, I just want to take a minute 
because as you know, we've been collaborating with other podcasts. And uh, last time out, I wanted to point you towards Scott Johnson and The Morning Stream. I would still love you to do that. But our next collaboration with a content creator where we're sharing promo and trying to send each other's uh, viewers and listeners to each other is the fantastic Simon Dan, our good friend Simon Dan, Matt. Uh, we're doing cross promo with him uh, and he is now one of the biggest science stars on YouTube. Like he is a massive deal, but he was our friend on the Dad Hub podcast where he was just an honest, talented guy. He was trying to write books. He was doing little blogs. He would be quiet during the podcast and then suddenly like attack us with just the funniest stuff. And if you ever wanted anyone to be successful and go on to do great things, it would be it would be our friend Dan. It would be. And in fact, we may even be recording a podcast with him sometime soon. It's a Red Dwarf podcast. So, okay. Look, if you want to know who this guy is and you need to know who he is, go and search Cy Mandan, S-C-I Mandan. He used to have underscores in all of his social media handles, uh, but through peer pressure from me, he removed them all just like Chris did. So search Cy Mandan. He's got a great YouTube channel where he debunks flat earth deniers, uh, flat, flat earthers, sorry. So there's lots of people that think the earth is flat. They deny the globe earth theory they're wrong and dan tells them why they're wrong it's a fantastic channel but he now does a general interest science podcast so in your podcatcher search for simon dan or uh, look for the link in the in the show notes below uh, but he's been doing really great interviews with people like fraser kane like top scientists where he takes on like really great topics and for whatever reason he's invited you me and thunderbeast to come on his podcast and talk about the science around Red Dwarf, my favorite TV show and book ever. And we're going to be recording that Monday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Dan is always a wonderful hang and we always had so much fun. This is this is like getting the gang all back together. It's going to be awesome. So please go in the show notes, check out my friend, Simon Dan, and tell him that Spanners and Missed Apex podcast sent you and we would be very, very grateful. All right, Matt, I'll uh, leave you to lead the charge on the chat about Ferrari. Okay, but before I do that, you did mention McLaren too, and I want to take just one second to talk about the diffuser. And specifically, they have such a unique and interesting solution. And also to talk about the fact that we know that McLaren and Williams both ran plenty of labs with their air-to-air cooling. So again, this is one of the reasons why I think that cooling might be an issue here, and we've not seen anything close to what Mercedes is actually going to get out of their car. So those of you who are haters, don't get too far ahead of yourself regardless. So let's talk about that diffuser real quick. What they've done essentially is you know what they call the strakes, the little hangy down things underneath the car? They changed the rules. They had to be shorter. They couldn't go as far. And what McLaren did was they found a, I hate to say, loophole, but I'm just going to call it that. They realized that if they went farther back with it, that they would be able to get what they wanted out of it without violating the regulations. They are the only person to have the solution on the entire grid. And it may indeed, because the diffuser is the most efficient part of the car from an aero point of view, it may indeed be something that really helps them out because as you mentioned earlier, they were forced to spend their entire token spend just fitting the new power unit into their car. 
So they actually have shown up and done better than I expected. And certainly if you look at Aston or Mercedes, they put in a lot more miles. So I think they're in actually pretty good shape to be at the sharper end of the midfield. Uh, I'm not sure this is the exact reason, but I read somewhere Craig Scarborough about this, and he he said that, um, I might have got it wrong, but let me try. If you have a new line, let's call a strike a line on the underfloor, that's a new line. Those are limited to something. But if it's a continuous line, which the sorry, the middle of the diffuser makes it, then it's not a strike. Yes. Basically, the deal is if you section the diffuser horizontally and you get separate lines, that's illegal. The way they've done it is they've connected it far enough back that you get a singular line. Therefore, it's allowed. And that's just for the tech heads in the world. It's not going to be a defining uh, factor, I think, in uh, 2021. It's not going to be a blow diffuser, but it's definitely a trick. And uh, how would you say, Matt, is it possible to copy? I would say it's fairly easy to copy, wouldn't you say? Is it going to take a totally new flow? No, it depends on the entire philosophy that went into what your flower is currently doing. If it does something different to that, then no, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. If it was basically doing the same thing, then it might be easier. But bef- but what I really want to get to, and what is really interesting, is the master of mileage. That would be Ferrari and Alfa Ooh. Romeo. Kimi did like, what, 166 laps a day. And then just for fun, he almost crashed Carlos Sainz out at the very end of testing. <laughs> so with Ferrari, there's a lot of good noises. What we expected to hear, we've sorted out the drag. We've sorted out the engine performance in terms of power how much we're not yet sure does the chassis hold up does the aero hold up in terms of downforce still a lot of question marks about that and i don't think we're yet seeing this is going to be the third quickest car on the grid right so let's be clear about setting expectations for ferrari fans (laughs) bonato was pleased Bonato was not pleased because he says, stop comparing us to everyone else. We have shown up with our own plan. It's very different to everyone. And any comparisons you make are therefore null and void. Also, by the way, we've already given up on 21 and we're mostly working on 2022. So I don't think we are going to see a return of Ferrari to the sharp (sighs) end of the field on a regular basis. But what I do think, based on what we've seen today, and especially if we take it for granted, which, because we're running out of time, I'm just going to do. We take (laughs) it for granted, we saw Alfa Romeo at the end in the glory runs, which I really wanted to talk about because those were loads of fun. We saw Alfa Romeo going super fast. They were into the 29s. Alfa looked great. They ran a million miles. If we assume they've just turned it all the way up just to see what the Ferrari power unit can do, and that Ferrari themselves have not done this thing then we could see Ferrari fighting with Aston once they figure out how to get all the gremlins out of their car, fighting with McLaren for that podium spot that might be there if Perez or Verstappen or Botas or Lewis, for that matter, has the odd bad day. I think we're talking best of the rest for Ferrari. But last year, it was two podiums and they were done for the season. I think they're in the mix for the whole season this year. And that is a massive step forward for them. So you got to say they had a good testing, but if you're expecting them to be fighting with Mercedes and Red Bull, 
then no, no, I don't think they're there. I think 2022 is the year you're really going to want to look at. Chris, I think even what Matt said is a big shout. I'm not that optimistic about Ferrari at all. Well, I think at best they're looking at contending for top fives on a regular basis because let's consider we're going to have a year of Mercedes versus Red Bull for the title. That locks out the top four positions in a trouble-free race. So best of the rest is going to be fifth place, which we expect to see the likes of AlphaTauri, uh, Aston Martin, hopefully fighting for that. When you look at the opposition, it's tough. So they need to get it together in order to just get what is realistically the best they can hope for this season. Uh, the fun part here is that it's actually not Ferrari, I think, defining where they end up. It's going to be how good Alpine and Aston Martin is because I think already McLaren is way ahead of them. Uh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm sorry about this, but uh, it doesn't look good. But No, I don't think it does. Also, right. they, could be, they could be just holding back because if for Ferrari, it, it wouldn't look good to make a very fast testing period and then do bad in the season. I'm, I'm not in for that. So if I was a Ferrari, I would probably tone it down a bit. And also I would stop designing my car in Microsoft Paint. I would <laughs> maybe try something like Photoshop uh, and change the Comic Sans font to something like Helvetica or maybe it's the not Ferrari good. Font. I don't like it. The Ferrari it's car horrible. wasn't part of our. It. it wasn't part of our livery review, was it, guys? Because it had not been released yet. But it's oh my! I was never going to like it. Okay, I am. I'm a Ferrari hater. They're the Death Star. I admit that openly. But it's like the Ferrari livery. At least it's iconic, Christian. At least it's iconic. But they made it just worse. Let's not talk about this for for hours. But if you have <laughs> a brand like Ferrari. You yeah. have like one of the strongest brands in the world. Just and you do can it. basically do tiny, small adjustments and it will work. <laughs> and they are just overdoing it in the wrongest way. But move on, yeah. I hope they do good. If if you think the Ferrari are the Death Star, I'll play devil's advocate and say I like that. Because <laughs> I like playing the bad guy in, in video games and stuff. <laughs> you get an open world game. I love being the bad guy and I love playing as the dark side in any Star Wars game as well. So back to the point that Christian was making about how well Ferrari can possibly do. We already know that there are two teams that we're expecting to see on the last two rows of the grid. And that is Haas and Williams. Probably we'll maybe see Alfa Romeo there as well. It depends on how much performance they can gain over last season. Wasn't great uh, in 2020. Where do you fit everyone else in the rest of that? If you don't come away with points in that midfield, you're going to be so disappointed yeah. with yourself because it, it's such fine margins I think we're going to be dealing with. Yeah. And just to address the, tra- chat, the uh, chat room there, Matt, um, I hate to break the fourth wall, but I, I love to hate Ferrari. And that's where that comes from. I know you do. So before we get out of here, uh, I just have one categorical observation about expectations for this season. We have gotten very excited last season. We saw winners that weren't Red Bull. We saw winners that weren't Mercedes. I think we saw an entire podium that involved none of them at one point. I don't know. It's all a blur. Monza. It was so exciting. But looking at the last hour when everyone went out and did their glory runs, one thing stuck out to me is that Max Verstappen on medium tires was as fast as the rest of the midfield. So I don't think we can expect that gap to have really narrowed at all. It's going to be chance, happenstance, and random disaster that elevates the midfield teams to the podium. 
The good news is Ferrari is now a midfield team, so there's fewer contenders to be dealt with. I could not be more excited for the start of the 2021 season. We we had doubt in 2017 when Ferrari popped up to the top of the, the timing trees, and that was real. Ferrari were genuine contenders in 2017 and 2018. Sebastian Vettel did his best to bring that title challenge to Mercedes. Ultimately, I believe the difference was the driver's the consistency. Lewis Hamilton's brutal consistency trumped Vettel's skill, but in the end, his inability to keep it on track when pushing to the absolute limit. We've had a little bit of a, a dearth of that because 2019 and 2020 were Mercedes years and Lewis Hamilton has the measure of, of Valtteri Bottas at every point. So we've been robbed a little bit of that inter-team battle, but is it possible? Yes or no, panel? Let's start with Christian. Is it possible? Are Red Bull taking the 2021 fight to Mercedes? I think I actually already answered that because uh, from from the looks of the test, yes, very much indeed. And uh, and the hunger in Red Bull is, uh, is it's huge. You can just tell it by looking at Max. He's already, he, he's uh, Lewis Hamilton a couple of years ago. His mindset, he's so focused on it and he wants it so bad. And if you've won the championship seven times in a row, you, you still want it, but you don't want it that bad, do you? And Christian, I know you don't do the social media, so I won't push that. I will just thank you for your time and hope you'll come and join us soon in the 2021 season. Chris Stevens, you do do social media. You are an attention magnet. You go out on the streets saying, please follow me. See everything I do. And you can do that best by following Chris on Twitter at Chris on Racing. Presumably you have an Instagram account with lots of car selfies of yourself on interesting adventures. Uh, not so much car selfies. Okay. It's just cars or mm. selfies. Oh, okay. Together. Fair enough. Uh, so at Chris on Racing on Twitter, is there a genuine title fight in 2021? Yes or no? I think so. Yeah. I think this has got to be the most optimistic we've been about this for a, a while. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. And that just leaves Matt two rumpets at MattPT55. You've got a fancy new email address, I hear. That's right. I believe it's Matt at MissedApex.net. Unless I have completely misremembered it, in which case I'm sorry to whoever gets all those emails. This is totally probably not meant for you. No, and you can also contact me now, Spanners, at MissedApex.net. You can find all our stuff at mistapex.net www.mistapex.net the reason we've done that is because we have a fancy team of writers led by flip jacobson and uh, marshaled your the interface between the podcast team and the writing team is you matt and we have a few articles up on the site already we've done comprehensive written reviews of all the testing we'll put the links in the show notes below how do you think it's going We're, we've launched we've been talking about this for months now, uh, and and it's happening. It's happening. I could not be more excited to have written articles to accompany our podcast. I think the team is first rate, and you mentioned the uh, just really beautifully crafted obituary for Murray Walker. 
And in the writing you are going to be getting from this team this year is, is going to be extraordinary. And the depth and breadth of coverage of every single Formula One event is unparalleled. No one will tell you as much about yeah. what happens over an entire weekend as our writers will at mistapex.com. .net. No, don't. I've .net. been... I've been trying for ages to get MrApex.net. Someone's uh, sorry, com. Someone's sitting sorry. there. So it's MrApex.net. Uh, you can also give us feedback. Feedback at MrApex.net. And the team of writers we have is a whole team of proven writers that have been operating on another platform. They had nowhere to go. Uh, and instead of setting up independently, we spoke to them to see if they would do writing for MrApex podcast. So we've been very lucky. Look out in the show notes. There will always be a link to a recent article. Indeed. And in fact, you may even see some articles from me in the future. Oh, I know. Interesting. And also video editor Steve Amy, he told me he wants to do some articles as well. You know, I'll jump in. I'll jump on the bandwagon. Really? You'll write stuff? Man, it's been ages since I've written something about Formula One. (laughs) Good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. But don't think I haven't noticed that we have an award, Matt. (laughs) We do have an award, mm-hmm. but first, mm-hmm. I feel like I must weigh in on the championship prospects of Red Bull. Oh, yeah, I never... Sorry, yes. Beg your I pardon. know, we got distracted because mm-hmm. we do that sometimes, yeah, you and I. It happens. Especially at my age. Mm-hmm. Wait, is that a cloud? Oh, look, shiny object. It's very easy. Stupid cloud, get out of the sky. Yes, get off my grass, you stupid mm-hmm. cloud. Anyway, yes, all um, those things. See, I'm already confused. No, so here's what I think. I think, looking at last season, Red Bull has a very real shot at the Constructors' Championship. I am slightly less convinced that Verstappen, assuming he gets the benefit of being the Red Bull driver, has a shot at Hamilton. That I'm going to have to wait to see cars on track for. It, it's but if the they fight get off to a good yeah, start, man. Mercedes could be in a world of hurt for the Constructors. It's the fight we've all been waiting for. Verstappen oh, with yeah. competitive equipment versus Lewis Hamilton. Christian? I just wrote a short thing down before we started the show. Uh, it's just going to end my thing on on today's podcast. But remember a couple of years ago when Liberty was saying, we're going to Americanize the show, uh, stuff like that. They did that thing in the States at the USGP. Everyone was, oh, why? How about all the stripes and stuff? Yeah, man. Uh, and, uh, and all the fans were going crazy. How they are going to ruin the sport. What we're having right now, we have three days of testing which were brilliant. Then we have five days off when the press is going to go crazy. Then we have new season of Drive to Survive. Everyone will go bongers again. Then you have five days and then you have the first Grand Prix. And this is what they mean when they say doing an American style of broadcasting. They build it up. They, They do something we haven't experienced. I know COVID and everything has changed it, but this is a new style of how you, you launch a new season. Yeah. And I think it's pretty damn well. Yeah, they've done all right. We've got uh, an award to give out, though. We have a live chat room. If you want to join them, search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube, and you can watch us record live. You can see everything we do before the team come in and edit out all the ridiculous and litigious things we say. So search for MissedApexPodcast.com. Sorry, search for Missed Apex on YouTube. Like and subscribe us. Join us in the live chat and fight for the award, Comment of the Week. Matt, who are our contenders for Comment of the Week? Christian, stand by. You will be our adjudicator. Right. So we will start with the people 
as we always do, who gave us the actual money because you can do that in the super chat. You can do that in the tip jar on the site, or you can sign up at Patreon, become a patron of the show, yeah. and get an ad free feed as a bonus. Plus, some did extra you know about this, Chris? Did you know? Did you know they get money? I haven't seen any of it. What? This is completely Matt, new information for me. We, Matt, you know we do the money stuff in post-production. Come on, man. Play the game. All right. So, Trevisio, thank you. EJ, also Kevin, because Danish, thank you twice. And Eric Davis, thank you for making donations in the Super Chat. And now on to our contenders. Stuart Neal, making the old joke. Really looking forward to hearing Spanners, Trumpets, Chris, and Kevin this evening because we decided at some point because kevin magnuson was danish anyone who was danish was also called kevin no it's because i accidentally called christian kevin and apparently i can't ever live that down numerous times (laughs) that two max anyway carry on uh christopher fonseca bahrain is just sandbagging before the actual race which okay fair (laughs) well done bahrain Michael Holgate, Mercedes to use their filming days to test their complete new car between now and the race, I reckon. It's possible. James Wingfield, we're in a lockdown, no party mo- no party modes allowed. Not till June 21st, baby, 98 days to go, whoop, whoop, hands up in the air. Uh, Mark Greenhow, poor old Derek and Cooling, they never listen to him. Why does Derek ruin everything? Get your act together, Derek and Cooling. And finally, Romeo Rose, you know Mercedes was sandbagging because Hamilton went off track to collect some more. Oh, man, and showed the whole world the underside of the Mercedes floor. And I'm sure Derek in floor design was absolutely delighted. Who's our winner, Christian? The Bahrain sandbag uh, initial comment I liked. Give us that one again, Matt. That would be Christopher Fonseca. Bahrain is just sandbagging before the actual race. And you are the winner of Comment of the Week. It's been a while since Christopher won, actually. He might be, he might be our all-time MVP of Comment of the Week. Uh, you can follow me, by the way, if you want, at SpannersReady on Twitter. Or, more importantly, follow the show at F one We also have a TikTok now. So search for F one We're trying to do some short-form content, some clips of the show. So we're there on TikTok. There are... At this point, no videos of the panel in crop tops dancing, but we're consulting with the team to see if that's something we want to explore. Uh, We're working hard to do stuff on Instagram, um, and uh, we're also making sure we've got video clips uh, to go up on YouTube. Please follow uh, our iRacing podcast. Every Wednesday, we record that, so search for Missed Apex iRacing on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want to find any of the stuff that we promised would be in the show notes, if you're on your phone, just scroll down. If you're on Apple, I think you scroll to the right. And if you're on YouTube, it's right below the video you're watching. We will be back again next Sunday for our pre-season preview uh, of the 2021 season. And on Friday, we're going to be talking to Matthew Carter ex-Lotus CEO as well to give us an insight into Formula One and get his opinions on the season ahead as well. Wherever we see you next, please work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.